At this time, I'll invite everyone to stand, and I'll invite the children to be dismissed for children's church and preschool play and worship. And as the children are making their way out, Richard, I'll invite you to come forward for our scripture reading. Scripture is uh, Ephesians three fourteen through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Thank you, Richard. Let's pray together before we're seated and we begin to study. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit and the promise that your word will not go forth without accomplishing your purposes for which you sent it. And for promising that through the Holy Spirit, you will help us and guide us to all truth. I ask now that you would help me to preach boldly and clearly the way I should and that you would help all of us to have open eyes and open ears and open hearts to receive your word. Help us to understand your word, but not just intellectually. Help us to understand your word down deep into our hearts in such a way that we are changed and transformed by the renewing of our minds this morning. And we ask all this for your glory we ask all this for for our good, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. My sermon does have a title this morning, although it won't be projected on the wall. The title is Praying Beyond the Body. Praying Beyond the Body. Uh, Last week, this week, and next week, uh, my plan is um, to preach sermons related to prayer in preparation for our revival prayer meetings, which are going to happen at the end of September. Um, my plan for this week was to preach about praying for the sick and the suffering, and that is what I'm going to do, although the Lord um, directed me violently away from the passage that I had planned to preach this morning to, to something else, so I trust that it's his guidance. And, um By way of introduction, as I prepare to give you the message I believe the Lord has given me to give to you this morning, I just want to start off with the fact that God cares deeply for the sick and the suffering. God cares deeply for people who are sick and physically suffering. Okay, we know this from his word. We know from Psalm 9-9 that God is a stronghold during times of trouble. We know from Psalm twenty two twenty four that God hears us when we cry to him. We know from Psalm fifty five twenty two that God invites us to cast our burdens onto him and that God promises to sustain us when we are burdened. We know from Psalm 56, 8 that God keeps count of our tossing. It's a beautiful image of, you know, I don't know if you've ever tossed and turned through the night in discomfort and anxiety or in pain that God sees that. God cares about that. God is, is even said to count that. You wake up in the morning exhausted from a night of, of agony. 
And you know that it happened. God knows that it happened. And he knows how many times you tossed and turned through the night. That same psalm says that he puts our tears in his bottle. And he writes each of them in his book. He is very attentive to us and our suffering. We know from Luke four seventeen to 18 that Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted. We know from John fourteen twenty six and 27 that the Father sent the Holy Spirit so that we could have peace. And so that our hearts could be untroubled. And so that our hearts could be unafraid. So we have a good God that is loving and caring. Especially when we're sick and when we're suffering. And since our God cares so much for the sick and the suffering, we too should care for the sick and the suffering. And we should pray for people when they are sick and when they are suffering. But the big question, banner question over this sermon is, how should we pray for those who are sick and suffering? Now, I want you to think about people. I want you to think about yourself. Perhaps you yourself physically are suffering. I have a friend that I've had, he's been a friend for a couple years now, and I didn't realize because of a four-wheeler accident way back, he lives in chronic, constant back pain. And he never lets on about it, but he just lives in pain. He's probably in pain right now. And many of you may be uncomfortable right now because of some physical pain. Or maybe you have people that you really care about that are very close to you who are very sick. I want us to look into God's word with people in mind. These aren't just theological propositions. This is real life stuff that we're talking about. How should we pray for these people? How should we pray for a woman who uh, was recently diagnosed with diverticulitis? How should we pray for a, uh, a child who has been having headaches recently? How should we pray for the woman that comes across on the prayer chain email that we've never heard of and don't know who lives across the country who's going to have heart surgery tomorrow. How should we pray for these people? Should we pray for healing? Should we pray for God to miraculously heal these things? Or should we just pray that their doctors would have wisdom? Or should we pray that the Lord would just relieve them from the discomfort and suffering? Well, I believe... We can and should pray those things, but I believe there's much, much more that we can and should pray. You know, I've experienced a lot of prayer meetings in my life. I grew up in church. Uh, I was one of those especially churchy kids that uh, even when I was in the youth group, I would go to the prayer meeting with the pastor and the deacons. Um, I experienced those prayer meetings there. I experienced our Sunday evening services, which would begin with lengthy time of uh, sharing prayer concerns and praying together. And I've experienced other prayer meetings through college, and then here is your pastor. We have prayer meetings. And I've seen a tendency for us as God's people to fall into two ruts when it comes to praying for people. Okay, the first one is we tend to only pray for the sick and the suffering. We tend to only pray for people when they have some physical medical issue. And the second one is we tend to pray only that those sick and suffering people would be physically healed. Okay, now, neither of those things are bad in of themselves. It's the word only. It's if we stop there. If all of our prayer meetings are focused on medical issues, and if our prayers for these people are only focused on their physical medical issues, we're missing this whole glorious world that we could be praying. 
an action that we could be seeing God do in people's lives. Now, as I've studied the Bible in preparation for this prayer emphasis, um, I've come to the conclusion that the Bible, especially the New Testament, places very little emphasis on praying for physical healing or physical comfort. And I feel strongly that we need to let God's priorities in the Bible shape our priorities in praying, even when it comes to people who are sick and suffering. So I'd like to look at these two ruts that I think we fall into in turn in light of Scripture. So first off, I do think that we tend to pray more easily and share prayer concerns more readily about physical issues, medical issues. Um, You you look at the prayer chain emails, that's mainly medical issues. Uh, Many prayer meetings, as requests are lifted up, they're often heavily weighted towards medical issues. Um, I think there's lots of reasons for this. One of which is just easy to share on that level. Uh, It might be more difficult to share. It might be easy to share. I broke my arm yesterday where it might be difficult to share. I am deeply ensnared in this sin and I can't escape. Okay. You have to really know people really have fellowship to share that. Whereas this is obvious. The bone's sticking out and there's blood spurting. You know, many prayer meetings can turn into like a town hall meeting where it's just updates on medical conditions. It's like we should just have lab coats on and, and um, clipboards. And So let's think about real-life situations. Let's think about uh, a grandmother who is entangled in incredibly complex family relationship dynamic and financial dynamics who is um, working her back to dust taking care of grandchildren and being the glue that holds this whole family together with step relations and, and uh, ex-spouses and stepchildren. Because think of, of a grandmother who is the glue in this whole family dynamic. Do we pray for her? Do we pray the rich biblical prayers for her? Do we pray that whenever she opens her mouth, words might be given to her so that she would fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which she is an ambassador to this family? Do we pray that she might declare the gospel boldly to those children, grandchildren, stepchildren? Do we thank God for her partnership in the gospel? Or do we largely ignore her in prayer until she gets sick? Think of the young believer, the new believer, A child who gets baptized. Do we pray for them? Do we pray that he who began a good work in them would carry it on to completion? Do we pray that the cares of this world would not creep up and strangle that young faith? Do we pray against the enemy that he would not swoop down and snatch up that young faith? Or do we forget them in the deluge of medical prayer requests? And we can get real specific on this one. Lucky Pallone. Baptized September 2013. Do we know how he's doing spiritually? Do we pray for him still? Young young boy, young, young man now, he's in the youth group now. Young man recently gave his life to Jesus Christ. Out there in the school system, out there in the world, out there with the enemy. Do we know how he's doing? Are we praying for him? Natalie Chastine. Baptized August 2014. Do we know how she's doing? Are we praying for her? Elias Broadway. 
baptized November 2014. Do we know how he's doing spiritually? Are we praying for him? Okay, now, this is not a guilt trip. Okay, but think, think about how your prayer life for these young believers who stood up here and we welcomed them into membership saying we will pray for them. Okay, now think, what if on those dates I just mentioned, they weren't baptized, they were diagnosed with cancer. I guarantee we'd know how they were doing. I guarantee we'd know how they were doing physically. I guarantee their name would be coming through prayer request emails. I guarantee they'd be brought up in prayer meetings. Now, I'm certainly not saying we should not pray for people who are diagnosed with cancer. Please do not take that from this. What I'm saying is, I think that this juxtaposition reveals an opportunity for growth among us. We must pray for the sick and the suffering, but we must not only pray for the sick and the suffering. There's Every one of you has a situation in which you need prayer. Now, I'm very grateful. This is one of the areas of our church where I see spiritual growth. In our Sunday morning prayer meetings, I do see the pendulum swinging from Uh, medical concerns to spiritual concerns as well as medical concerns. And that's really encouraging. You know, people ask me, how's it going with the church? And it's so difficult to answer because it's, it's metrics like that, that matter. I feel like we're starting to, we're praying real prayers and that's good. I want to see that continue. Praying the way we see prayers in the Bible yeah, I've been looking at prayers in the Bible, especially the New Testament, and people are praying for, uh, they're giving thanks for the faith that they see in one another. They're praying for opportunities to have fellowship with, with believers that they haven't been able to see in a while because of different issues. They're praying for the salvation of the lost. They're praying for unity and Christ-likeness of attitude and mindset. They're praying for unity of mind and voice in order to better glorify God. They're praying for fullness of joy and peace that can only be found by trusting in Jesus Christ. They're praying for overflowing hope in God. These are the prayers that you see in the Bible. These are the prayers that will become our prayers as we continue to grow in Christ. So we need to pray for the sick and the suffering, but not only the sick and the suffering. And then the second rut that we fall into that we tend When we are praying for the sick and the suffering, we tend to pray mainly for physical healing, ignoring uh, the great wealth of other things the Lord may want to do. We need to let God's priorities in the Bible shape our priorities in prayer, even when it comes to praying for those who are sick and suffering. And I've noticed in myself, especially when it's somebody I care deeply about, when someone is sick, And in pain, especially in in mortal danger because of an illness, I can very quickly forget everything I know to be true in the Bible and jump over and only pray for physical healing and forget about the other things that I know to be true. How often have we forgotten that God often uses physical sickness to bring about glorious spiritual results in that person's life and in the church and in the world? I know all this is easy for me to say because I haven't really experienced anything too difficult on this medical level personally. Um, but I want to read something to you from a woman named Nancy Guthrie who has experienced it a little bit more closely than I have. She writes in an article, I suppose I really began to think about these things during the season in which 
we were caring for our daughter, Hope, who was born with a fatal genetic disorder. I remember getting a call from the secretary at our church. We've put you on the prayer list, she said, and we're asking people to pray that God will do a miracle and heal Hope. Honestly, it was a little awkward to tell her that while that was fine, it wasn't the way we were praying. Our reluctance to pray this way had nothing to do with whether or not we thought God is powerful enough to do that kind of miracle. This is the God who spoke the world into being. No question he could do it. So how were we praying for hope? When I was able to sputter out a prayer, it was shaped most profoundly by something a friend said to me on the phone a couple of days after hope was born. She said that, I could be confident that God would accomplish the purpose he had for Hope's life in the number of days that he gave to her. So in my prayers, I began to welcome him to accomplish that purpose. I prayed that my own sin and selfishness and small agendas would not hinder his purpose. I prayed that his purpose for Hope's life would be enough for me and a joy to me. If we really believe that God is purposeful in suffering and that our suffering is not meaningless or random, shouldn't that affect how we pray about the suffering in our lives and in the lives of others? As it is, we pretty much only know how to pray for suffering to be removed, for there to be healing, relief, restoration. Praying for anything less seems less than compassionate. But shouldn't the purposes for suffering we find in Scripture guide our prayers more than our predetermined positive outcomes? We could make a very long list of purposes for which God intends to use suffering according to Scripture. And then she does, and I want to share these with you. These are things that the Bible states that God does through suffering. He displays his glory in us. He equips us to comfort others. He causes us to rely on him. He shapes us to look more like Jesus. He makes the life of Jesus evident in us. He reveals sin to us and protects us from sin. He enables a deeper experience of Christ's sufficiency. He disciplines us for holiness. He brings about spiritual maturity. He brings about genuine faith. See, often God is using suffering for glorious purposes. Do you guys remember Romans 8? I'm sure you do. I bring it up, it seems like, every week. Does it say that we are conquerors of physical suffering? No, it says we are more than conquerors of physical suffering. We are more than conquerors. That means that often while we're trying to bat it away, it's trying to serve us. God through it is trying to serve us. Bring about worship and life and faith and maturity and growth and uh, glory and gospel witness to the world. Bringing fellowship tighter together. Helping us to let go of the temporary pleasures of this world and grab hold of the eternal pleasures that matter. 
So we must not abandon these deeper, more enduring purposes when we're praying for sick and suffering people. Now, the question that may be on your mind is, well, doesn't God heal? And doesn't he call us to pray for healing? Yes, I believe God does heal, but I believe it's rare. I believe it's rare that it happens in the miraculous sense. Now, all good things come from God, including the medical advances through which he heals us through the ordinary means of grace of doctors and prescriptions and uh, physical health. But I believe there are times, extraordinary times, where God impresses on people the kind of faith and the kind of praying through which he does miraculously heal people. I believe the church here has experienced it with Katie Brooks years and years ago. Many of you shaking your heads remember that. And I know that many of you, that is a, a pillar memory of God's faithfulness. I think that's the kind of healing that he talks about in James chapter 5, where he says, if any of you are sick, let him call for the elders, and they'll come and they'll pray over you and anoint you with oil, and the prayer of righteous men is very effective as it is working. I think there are definitely times when the Lord does amazing, miraculous things in the area of healing. But I don't think it's the norm. I think the normal condition is God bringing about other miracles through suffering, using suffering as his servant. So yes, let's pray for, pray for healing. But let's trust our wise God. You know, the closest thing Paul ever prayed for healing that I saw in the scriptures was praying for the Lord to remove the thorn from his side. And we don't know what that thorn was. But do you remember God's answer to him? No, because I'm using that thorn to make you, Paul, the apostle. I'm using that thorn to make you the humble, relying on me kind of apostle. You need to be to, to be the world's greatest missionary. Without that thorn, he wouldn't have been the Paul that we know. The closest prayer that I can find of Jesus praying for physical healing is him praying, Father, let this cup pass from me. This cup of physical suffering is about to endure on the cross and this cup of separation from God. And again, God said, no, I've got purposes in that suffering. And like Jesus, our prayer needs to be your will be done. Because, of course, we always want to feel good and we always want each other to feel good. But ultimately, your will be done. You know better than we what is best. We are more than conquerors. So we should pray in light of that fact. I want to close this sermon with giving you a specific example of a prayer that's, that's deeper than the body. And that's the passage that Richard read for us. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. And I just want to point out to you five components or five characteristics of prayer that is deeper than the body, prayer beyond the body. I don't really have a whole lot to say on these points. I just sort of want to hand them to you for us to be thinking about as we pray. Ephesians three fourteen through 21. Let me read it again before we pick it apart. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power 
through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's praying. The first thing I want you to notice is that deep praying is prayer that is done in light of the gospel. Deep praying is gospel motivated. Verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And he's referring back to the paragraph just above it, in which he, he goes on about how he's basically amazed that he has been called through the gospel of Jesus Christ not only to be a Christian, who used to persecute Christians, but by the grace of God, he's enabled to be a Christian, but also to be a minister. And he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Now, we each, like Paul, insofar as we are in Christ, trusting and following Jesus Christ, we too are called to be Christian ministers. Do we pray as ministers of the gospel? Or do we pray like everybody else? Do our prayers cash in on the fact that we have Jesus? Jesus Christ, the reconciler. The one who brings us from from spiritual death to spiritual life through whom we have relationship with God the Father. Do our prayers cash in on that fact? If not, we're not praying deeply enough. For only praying that um, such and such as bum knee would feel better. That's, that's an okay prayer, but man, there's so much more. Second thing I want you to notice is that not only is deep prayer done in light of the gospel deep prayer is done in light of our father deep prayer is done in light of our father paul writes for this reason i bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named and we through jesus christ have the father as our father the father who took us up us dirty, rebellious kids, kicking them in the shins all the way and adopted us. The father of all, the father who's capable of all. We are not approaching the cashier in the CVS pharmacy when we pray. We are approaching our father. Yeah, I remember um, the house I grew up in it looks normal enough from the front. If you were ever behind it, to look at it from behind, it would maybe look a little scary. Might have taken Meredith a little bit of time to get used to it. Um, my dad had us in the summers, mainly my brother because I was so little, uh, spend our mornings digging out a basement with a pick and shovel and wheelbarrow, just digging out of, of the dirt beneath our house, a basement. And it's still that today, it's just a big gaping opening with a big hole dug out from it and my aunt lives back behind us and often we would go and play games up there and I would have to return from her house at night so you know a little kid 
seven years old, maybe eight years old, returning at night out in the country. There's no street lights or anything, pitch black dark, just the moonlight. It would creep me out so much to walk past that gaping opening of our, our basement. And there'd be bicycle reflectors in there. So you'd see like little points of light. You're like, is that a wolf in there or something? So, I, you know, I was okay until I got close to that. And then I would speed up to get into the house. Um, you know, as a child, many things are scary. Many things are overwhelming. Now, on nights when my father walked with me back, I didn't give that basement a second thought. Because I wasn't out there alone as some orphan. I was out there with my father who was big and he was strong and he knew what was under there and he wasn't afraid. And so often we go through our lives as Christians like orphans. When all the while our father who's big and strong and knows everything about the situation is right beside us. So when we kneel down in prayer, we pray to our father. And it's not just our father who is in heaven. It's also our father who is with us here. We can pray in light of the gospel. We can pray in light of our Father. The third thing I want you to notice is that we can pray in light of the Holy Spirit. Look back at verse 16. Paul prays that according to the riches of our Father's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. He doesn't just want them to be strengthened. He wants them to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit. You know, from our study in 1 Corinthians, remember, as Christians, we have been given the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit of God, and we have it in us. You know, just as my Spirit is to me, God's Spirit is to Him. And though I could never give you my Spirit, God is able to give us His Spirit. And through His Spirit, we have access to the mind of God, the power of God, So the question here is, do our prayers cash in on the fact that we have the Holy Spirit? We can pray in light of the gospel, the Father, the Holy Spirit. Fourth thing I want you to notice is that we can pray in light of the inner being, not just the outer being. He prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. You know, non-Christian hope can only rise about as far as the body. You know, without Jesus Christ and our hope for eternal life and resurrection, what hope do you have that does not terminate when your body dies? And we live in a world that is very much preoccupied with the physical body. You know, there's products that you can buy for every body part that you have. Any advertisement you see, no matter what it's for, is usually coupled with the picture of a beautifully healthy body because advertisers know that that's going to make it more appealing to us. You know, how many of you, especially women, have not felt incredible pressure about your body? Make it healthier, make it more beautiful. If we lived in light of the message of our world, we would be completely enslaved to our bodies, totally preoccupied with our bodies. But as Christians, we have hope higher than that. We can be rooted and grounded, not just in our bodies, but in love, the love of Jesus Christ, the eternal love of Jesus Christ. There's a fact that we need to just get out on the table so that we can pray as Christians. 
And that fact is that unless Jesus Christ returns first, we will die. Our physical bodies will die. The ailments will come and they will accumulate and they will overtake us. You know, even the people that Jesus healed eventually died. There is no ultimate eternal hope in this body apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our hope is in his body broken for us on the cross. So our prayers can't rise only to the level of the physical body. They must rise beyond that to eternal things. And finally, we can pray in such a way as to press people into God and God into people. That's probably the most consistent through line that I see as I look at the prayers of the New Testament. The prayers are passionately devoted to pressing people into God and God into people. They're passionately devoted to getting these people and this God together. They're not just prayers for God, not right now. I just want you to be more comfortable so you can go back to work. They're prayers for people and God. Paul's prayer was that according to the riches of God's glory, that he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So, this is not a big deal. I, don't, I do not want to say this as if it's a big deal, because I know that it's not, but it occurs to me now, maybe it's a good illustration. Uh, I'm awaiting blood work to be returned, hopefully to help me along with my doctor figure out why I'm tired all the time. Um, I'm like 99.99% certain that at worst it's like maybe a, a blood sugar issue and I'll just have to eat cake all day to keep my sugar up. I'm assuming that's what the doctor is going to say. Uh, it's not a, not a big deal and I don't mean to act like it is. But what if, what if, Results come back and it's, some, it's something serious. It's something awful. It's something terminal. It's something that's going to get ugly. Okay, it could happen. Now, do I want you, based on this sermon, to not pray for, for healing for me? No, of course not. Please pray for healing. I've got a lot of gospel work I want to do. I've got a family I want to serve. Uh, please do pray for healing. But don't just pray for that. I, I want... To be filled with all the fullness of God. Pray that for me. You know what? Pray that for me, even if it is just a simple blood sugar thing. I want to be filled with the fullness of God. I don't just want to be filled with physical health. That's not going to last. I want to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Pray that. I want to have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray that. I want to be rooted and grounded in love, not just physical health. You know, Meredith and I were talking about this 
uh, you know, my gut reaction is I'm tired often. I want to figure out what it is, get feeling awesome. So I can be on top of things. I can get my to-do list done every day. I can be an awesome husband, awesome father, awesome pastor, awesome all the time. Superhero cape on. That's what I want. As I study this, I realize God may not want that. He might want me to feel tired often. He might not want me feeling all sufficient in my physical health. Maybe instead he wants me to feel tired and wimpy often so that instead he can show me just how deep and true and rich his love for me is through Jesus Christ. Yeah, I might not be able to be a super awesome husband, dad, pastor. Man, he still loves me. He still loves me endlessly through Jesus Christ. And my ultimate hope is not that I will feel really good physically. Our ultimate hope for one another and our loved ones as we pray can't be that they feel good physically. It'd be nice. It'd be great. But more importantly, let's pray like this. Let's pray in light of the gospel, in light of our Father, in light of the Holy Spirit, in light of the inner being. Let's pray prayers that press one another into God and God into us. Let's pray like Christians. Now, we're going to pray together right now, and you're invited every Sunday morning to pray with us in my office at 930. You're invited back to pray our revival meetings this year in September uh, 27th through 30th, I think. It's going to be all about praying together. Um, Pray with one another over the phone. Pray in your quiet times. Pray as you drive. Pray without ceasing and pray like this. Let's pray together now. Father, I came to your word this week looking for instruction on how to pray for people who are sick and suffering. And I just found so much more. And it just reminds me of how glorious you are. You're beyond compare. You're beyond anything that we could ever imagine or hope for. Lord, I ask you, based on the work that you have done through Jesus Christ to reconcile us with you and connect us with you, that according to your riches of glory, that you would grant us to be strengthened with the power of your spirit in our inner beings so that your son Jesus Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith so that we being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of your son Jesus Christ that surpasses knowledge and to be filled with your fullness in Jesus name. Amen.